Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It is the Monday show on a Tuesday because the way the bank holiday fell. Me and Aaron are back to discuss yet another Newcastle United victory 3-1 over Southampton. But before we do that, we want to do something very special for a little lad who's going through a bit of a tough time of it at the moment. You may have seen this um, on social media. This is for a little lad called Arthur who is up at the RVI. Um, he needs a bone marrow transplant and unfortunately he's been diagnosed with leukemia that is so rare no one else on the planet is believed to have have had it have it uh arthur if you're watching um i think your dad is me and aaron all the team at the chronicle uh, are right behind you you can beat this as the shirt uh, says here so we're going to hang this up now and uh, hopefully arthur that can uh, that can you know inspire you to to get through this we're passing on all our best so let me just hang this up and then we'll get on to discussing Newcastle's win over Southampton, which I know Arthur was watching, and you can hear the cheers as well from his bedroom up at the RVI, which is uh, which is wonderful. So let me just hang this up now. There we have it. So he's hanging nicely on a picture of Callum Wilson on our green screen. Well, Aaron, another win for Newcastle United. Uh, not a vintage display, especially in the first half, but as they got going in the second half with the introduction of Callum Wilson, it was very much the old Newcastle, or the Newcastle we've come to to love and dirty how, wasn't it? Yeah, very unusual to see them start so slowly at a home game. You know, we've seen it the last couple of uh, weeks away from home. You can sort of put it down to that being a, you know, a raucous atmosphere away from home. But I thought very flat at the start. But as you say, I think as soon as Wilson came in, changed the game. They never really looked like losing. You could tell second half, Southampton were retreating, and you sort of got the the feeling that Newcastle were gonna, you know, power through them. Another, I think, kind of a wake-up call for Newcastle now because you come into this game and you expect Newcastle to, to win it, which is a strange feeling in itself. Newcastle doing what you actually expect them to do and, and pick up the three points against the side, bottom of the league, not on a good run of form. And yet, you know, to concede in the way they did late on in the in the first half, it was maybe a kick up the backside that they needed to... I'm not saying they came into this game, you know, expecting to walk over Southampton, but nonetheless, it was probably the kick up the backside. They needed to think, OK, we need to step it up a level to get all three points here. It might not be a popular opinion, but I think maybe the fans expected them to come in and walk over Southampton. I think the last couple of weeks at home, we've seen fantastic atmospheres against Manchester United, against Tottenham. You didn't get the same feeling on on Sunday, did you? You didn't get the feeling that there needed to be this huge pre-match sort of carnival atmosphere and I think that represented in the first half Eddie Howe touching it full time he felt the atmosphere was flat partly because of the performance but I just think maybe there was just an element of complacency there from the fans and the players that they thought rock bottom in the table were on such a good run and Southampton in the first half did give them a wake up call mm. I mean Castle should have been ahead as well in the first half Anthony Gordon with a, a really good chance he got the nod from uh, the first whistle he ran through and it, it, it's inches wide and Really, anything that was threatening from Newcastle in that first half came from Anthony Gordon. He was then subbed at half-time. He was sacrificed for Callum Wilson with Isaac going out onto the left and Wilson, obviously, in that central role. Um, what did you first off make of Gordon's performance and then the fact that he was sacrificed at half-time? I think Gordon was one of their brightest sparks in the first half. I think, as you've mentioned, as Eddie Howe said after the game, Everything that Newcastle did right in the first half, which admittedly was very little, came through him. He was creating chances, he looked lively. I think we also saw an element that he's still very raw. 
I wrote about this yesterday. I think there were shades of you know the the negatives that we've seen St. Maximum, where yes, he's driving players with confidence, but maybe he's just picking the wrong options um, and maybe just lacking a little bit of confidence. I think if that was maybe Jacob Murphy or Miggy with that chance one on one, I think they probably would have scored it given everyone a form. Bit confusing to see him taken off. I think Jacob Murphy, you know, in that first half, literally did nothing, contributed nothing. Whereas yeah, the Gordon effort at the end. And just went over. Yeah, but I think if you're looking at which winger did it more, I think it's no contest said it was Gordon. Eddie Howe full of praise from after the game, but then said, you know, someone had to be sacrificed and, and Gordon was the one. And look, you can't really you can't really judge the decision now that it proved a master stroke. They won, the game was changed. Isaac looked a lot better down the left in the second half. But I actually thought it was a, a positive performance from Gordon and and we saw a glimpse of, of what he can be for this club. Uh, as Ruel says, Gordon to be super sub to build his confidence and we've got to trust the process like Julian and Murphy and Almiron, you wrote about that. Yeah. Yes, it didn't you? And I think, yeah, we saw enough to be positive uh, about Gordon. He's, like you say, he's raw, he's young. He is, I think, a confidence player. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he handles being substituted at half time. I think, for me, what we saw against Southampton, we saw him getting in the right positions but the touch was just too heavy or mm-hmm. there was an extra touch he didn't need. And I think, as you see there, there was probably a bit of nerves about it. Yeah. You know, he's... I don't think he... I think it'll be the first minute he's not at the level he wants to be at. So that'll be playing a factor when it comes to nerves and what have you. But I don't think he was substituted because he necessarily had a bad first half. Like yeah. I said, I thought the threat came from him. It did. I mean, he had that great chance at the start of the half where he hit the side net and he obviously did very well to get on the end of that Isaac pass where he hit the post. He was very, very close to scoring. And I think if you just step back a bit, he's 22 years old. He left his boyhood club, who he's been at since the age of nine, under such a cloud for a big price tag, expecting for everything to be, you know, the grass to be so much greener at Newcastle. And he's really struggled. Taken off at Brentford and had that big sort of public, you know, clash with Eddie Howe. Started at Manchester City, taken off very early, taken off at half-time at, at Brentford, I think it was. He's had a really, t- really tough start to life. And I think throwing him in from the outset on Sunday, he showed glimpses, as I said, of what we can see from him. And I think it's just going to take a little bit longer for him to fully get up to speed with this team and how Howe wants him to play. What I just say is Gordon will be mint next season. And I guess the way he gets up to speed, Anthony Gordon, is by playing games, getting minutes under the belt. Now, one thing that I think is going to potentially stunt that is this Isaac and Wilson debate can they play it together now we know Eddie Howe's playing it down we know Wilson's come out and said yes we kind of can play it together the statistics the numbers the wins the performances are all suggesting that they have to play it together at some point will it be against Arsenal will it be something we see for the rest of the season are you going to stick by your theory your belief that it's not going to happen this season um, I'm slightly less confident than I was that Howe's not going to do it purely because when we asked him about this on, on Sunday night he said that he's got through for thought and of course he does you've got two incredible attacking players proving they can play well together I mean how do you drop Callum Wilson after his form eight goals in April more than any Newcastle player in a single calendar month and I'm starting to warm to it. I said I didn't, and I like Newcastle having that plan B off the bench where they're struggling like they were on Sunday and they can still, you know, turn the game on the head with this lovely plan B. But I think maybe once they fully secure Champions League football, we might see how take the shackles off and say, right, let's start them together and see how it goes. But 
it'll be Isaac on the left as opposed to them being two up, two up top, I think. Trio says if Isaac and Wilson starts, we have no striker that can come in and elevate the game, in my opinion. That That is the one thing that's, that's holding that's me back. The, the big plan B element is, is that when a game is, isn't going your way like it was against Southampton, you need that plan B that always works to change, and this is the plan B that always works. And I just think if you start the game like that, as you say, who do you bring off the bench to then improve that? I just I just don't see how you can. But as I say, once once they're, they're over the line and they've sort of got nothing to lose, I think Eddie Howe should, should try it. By that time, Ma- Maxi could be back as well. Exactly, and Gordon could have, you know, have found his form. He'd, he's got so many options. I, I, I do feel a bit envious of him. Uh, Darren's this afternoon, all great results on Sunday. A great team up from the super sub, Wilson and Isaac. Now, Wilson, I don't think he's liking that tag as, as the super all. sub. Alan Shearer in his BBC Sport column said he can understand why, but it's working for him. He's looking fitter, he's clinical, and maybe... That's what he needs because an interesting stat that Alan Shearer also pointed out that this is Callum Wilson. He's matched his most starts for new, his most appearances for Newcastle in a single season, which is twenty six. Which, when you think about it, isn't isn't overly fantastic. Shows you that there are issues with his fitness, and maybe him starting off the bench for you know the majority of games is exactly what he needs for longevity because he is when he's coming off the bench. He's looking so sharp. Defenses can't handle him. And he's getting the goals. I think Wilson might see this Isaac introduction as, as a negative. He's going to lose his spot. He's you know he's suddenly got a strike partner to deal with. But actually, I think it's been a huge positive. How's been able to manage his minutes? He hasn't been over, hasn't been overloaded because he's the only real out and out striker. It's the first time that I can remember that Wilson hasn't actually spent you know three or four months of a season. On the sidelines with a really bad injury. Yes, he you know he, he wasn't fully fit at the start of the season. They brought Isaac. He struggled a little bit before the World Cup, but other than that, he's he's came through it. And whatever he couldn't shake after the World Cup, he's he's firmly left behind now. It's just night and day, really. It's an absolute joy to watch. Five goals in his last three, fifteen in total this season. He's up to seventh in the list of all-time goal scorers in the Premier League. Are you ready for a bit of trivia? Go on then. So do you want to name them? We'll start with the first one. Obviously, Alan Shearer. Like, who, who comes next? Um, oof. This is all-time Newcastle goals. In the Premier in League. In the Premier League. Andy Cole? Nope. Well, you've missed two out before you get to Andy Cole. Um, well, why don't you, Peter, Peter Beardsley's next Peter on the Beardsley. list. Because of longevity, Shola. Shola, I mean, will be next on 43. Then Cole. Then Cole on 43 as well. So joint with Shola, joint third. Yeah. Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll? Yeah. Andy Carroll? <laughs> no, no, Andy. It's 15 goals. <laughs> Andy Carroll? Andy Carroll has scored 15 goals for Newcastle in the Premier League. Yeah. Jesus. You mu- Andy <laughs> Carroll. <laughs> and Newcastle United, I tell you, ladies and gents. Goodness me. No, you've got Les Ferdinand next. Okay. Then you've got a winger. Andy Carroll, oh my God. <laughs> well, Andy I was thinking Carroll. two stints, you know what I mean? He had, he right, had... Stop, no, stop it, right. Next, winger, you've got a winger. Uh, Nobby. Nobby's... <laughs> Nobby Solano, yeah, on 37. And then... Another number Wilson. nine. Oh, another one before Wilson. Yeah. Um... Another number nine, a goal score of great goals. No, I don't know. Happy to see, sir. Cissé? Yeah, Jeez, Pat Cissé and then Callum Wilson. 
Andy Carroll, eh? Goodness me. Please do write in the comments about that, I guess. But yeah, tremendous to see him going up the list. And, you know, there was a lot of talk, wasn't there? And, and we, we, we spoke about it, about the future of Callum Wilson. Not only could be could he remain a first-team striker for Newcastle United, a first-choice striker, sorry, for Newcastle United, but, you know, might he even be here next season? Because maybe he, if he wasn't going to be starting, would be saying, well, can I, I don't want to be here. I want to be, you know, somewhere where I'm starting week in, week out. But... I tell you what, the goals he's scoring, the record he's on at the moment, like you say, the most goals in April since Alan Shearer uh, many, many years ago. He's here to stay. And not only, he's, he's not going to be a backup to Isaac, is he? He's really going to be pushing for that central spot. Yeah, there was a, there was a great tweet from Tune Pauls over the weekend where he said, look, I'm going to hold my hands up and, and say that there was a period of time this season where I thought Wilson might be on his way out. And I'll, I'll hold my hands up, but, you know, a couple of months ago, we were starting to say, has he still got it in him? Is he going to, you know, be able to live up with the, the challenge of dealing with Isaac? And all the comments to this tweet were, no, we never doubted him. We, no, we knew it. If you rewind a couple of months ago, there was all of a sudden this, for the first time ever, by the way, this real belief that Wilson might not be around for the long run. Um, as I say, just the way he's managed to pull himself out of probably the worst period of form of his Newcastle career to suddenly being in one of the best. And not only that as well, to react to being second choice as yeah. well, because he wouldn't have been naive to these comments. I know footballers say we switch off, but they, you know, they do read social media. Yeah. He wouldn't have been naive to, to the thoughts of quite a lot of Newcastle United fans. He would have heard the, 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 the questions about his, his future. So to react to that in such a positive way as well, I mean, just to react to the fact that he is looking at the team sheet nearly every weekend and seeing that he's not first choice in terms of who's starting, mm -hmm. and then to react in the way he has is, is tremendous. Shows a real mentality that you need from a Newcastle number nine. Yeah, and I think the, the good thing is is that you know he's not just doing it when he's starting. It doesn't matter whether you're starting him or whether he's coming off the bench. He's you know he's doing the business. It's a great option for how I have. As I say, how can you how can you really drop either of them after the the recent form? Surely Callum Wilson is aware enough to realise limiting his minutes is extending his fitness, says Les. Yeah, I think he probably will do. And that's maybe why he is just getting on with it. He's, they look like they're enjoying the football as well. And I think when they're asked the question about whether they can play together, we saw Callum Wilson asked after the Everton game, can you guys play together? I don't necessarily think it's an overwhelming yes from kind of what Callum Wilson said in terms of him being selfish because he wants to play. I think he generally, he genuinely wants to play with Isaac as a terms to as opposed to, look, I will play anywhere to to start for Newcastle United. Yeah, you touched on it the other day. He made that really not so subtle comment after Everton, you know, when he said, "Look, I'm I'm an out and out striker, and maybe Isaac's better suited on the left." I think he was setting a stall out for a, a partnership. But every time they play together off the bench, it's really really working. Isaac seems to just flourish out wide. Um, as well as flourishing up top, I think, as you say... I mean, I'll be honest, I think if Isaac was playing out wide and you were playing up front, you'd be grabbing two or three goals every month, wouldn't True, you? True, yeah. We didn't see a, a assist of the decade on, on Sunday, Nearly, but we, we saw we saw run. some fantastic uh, build-up well, play from I, I Isaac. I, did I, te I think I texted you afterwards the, after the game and said something like, we're going to just have to talk about... I think you, you didn't you didn't say that you you said that you were going to call your firstborn Isaac oh, and, yes, and I'm yes. not sure if Lil who I'm sure is watching I'm not sure if she'll not sure if she's too aware of that really is she I mean I just call him Alexander after yeah. after he's there because there was one I was sitting there and there was that one run that he made and I'm and I'm glad someone's uh, 
got, got little uh, regard for the Premier League's copyright rules and put yeah. it out all over social media. Yeah. So we got to see the run of Izap because his legs were just... It was unbelievable. I've been, I've been thinking the past couple of days how to describe the run from the left that he does. I, I can't actually come up with it with a proper description because it's subhuman. It just was not a normal... Like, is he, is he human? Because the way the ball sticks to his feet and the defence are just always just like spellbound and very nearly ended up uh, Bruno put it wide didn't he in the end but it would have been a superb goal just another element of he's actually when he's got the ball his feet he's just absolutely superb and you look at him you you watch him and you think if you'd never seen him play football before you think he's a terrible dribbler he's big he's gangly he's leggy and as you say it just looks effortless when he's drifting through players I mean yeah he's as you say he can play out on the left he can play up top he's just the real deal. I might be calling me firstborn Alexander at this <laughs> rate. To be fair, unbelievable. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about exactly later on the show, but let's let's just go through the, the Callum Wilson goals. Then uh, the first one was a real kind of poacher's finish, wasn't it? You know, and he, he kind of hits and it loops over the keeper. Um, yeah, it's exactly what you want from 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 your man in the box, really, isn't it? Yeah, really, really good to see. You know, obviously did that at Everton on Thursday. Poacher's goal for the first. Right place, right time. You know, Bednarak's left on the deck for the first. Scoring all types of different goals. And it goes back to what Wilson, I know we're talking about tongue-in-cheek, but he did say it on, on Thursday night after Everton, he is the poacher. He's the out-and-out striker. Um, that doesn't really need too many touches. He just knows where the net is. Thank you very much for listening to the episode so far. Andrew Muscovy I just want to point you guys in the direction of a live event that we're holding on May the 25th. That's a Thursday night We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre myself and Newcastle United writer Kieran Kelly and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes and our chief Newcastle United writer Lee Ryder. The Daily Mirror Simon Bird will also be on the panel. But to kick things off, we'll have a club legend with us. Arguably one of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Alan Shearer is a massive fan of this man. It is Norberto Solano. This is your opportunity to come and meet a Newcastle United legend and talk about all things Newcastle United with our panel. Hopefully, by that time, Newcastle will have secured top four football, so there's going to be plenty to talk about. The brilliant season so far, what's to come in the summer transfer window, and then those nights on the continent, hopefully against Barcelona or an Inter Milan. It's going to be a great night. To secure your ticket, hit that link in the description to this episode, and head over to eventbrite.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great evening, raising really important funds as well for the Newcastle United fans food bank. So hit that link, secure your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you on May the 25th. Dave says he found finds it hard to catch these live as he got in trouble at work for watching on his phone. Well, we we appreciate the commitment, Dave. It's worth it, David. Dave. Thank you very much for letting us know that. And to David's boss, let him have an hour or so to talk about Eddie Howe's mighty magpies because. Well, why not? He'll be, he'll be more efficient at work if you let him, right? And I'll 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 sign that, and uh, you can give it give it to your boss, David. My my word on that. Um, you can also catch it uh, on the podcast later as well. If you search the everything is black and white podcast on your podcast provider, that's where you'll find the show. If you have missed it live, um, Wilson Elliot Harrick. Now we got one ruled out for offside again. Questions over, like how how Devar know Miggy touched that because it wasn't conclusive. Yeah, we obviously had little screens on our pitch side monitor, and the, that was the that felt like the longest VR call we've well, ever it, seen it at St was. James's. And I was sitting um, in front of uh, Michael Bridges, who was in, on commentary, yeah. and he 
was just looking around like he didn't. Yeah, he's got bigger screens than the, yeah. than the press box, and everyone was looking over and trying to see what was going on. And he's just shrugging his shoulders. He didn't really know. And it was, it was one of those where they slowed it down so it was literally going in slow motion. That. They're rolling the ball back from Miggy's foot to Wilson. Then they're zooming in. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was baffling. And obviously Wilson had that chance at the very end as well, where he hits the bar twice. He must be thinking, what, what do I have to do to get a hat-trick of late? That's three braces in April from. I mean, got to be one before the end of the season, you'd imagine. But just stick with that VAR. I mean, if it's taken that long, yeah. right? And I know we complain about a VAR quite a lot on this show because <laughs> I hate it. I love, I love the idea of it, but in practice, it's just not working. If you've got to spend that long trying to work out whether someone's touched the ball, then, then just give the player the benefit of the doubt. Because obviously it's not it's not a clear and obvious error, but anyway, ruled out. Second goal comes, eighty first minute. He rounds McCarthy in goal, and it you know a different goal to the first one, mm -hmm. you know. But again, just showing that he, he can do it all as a striker. Yeah, really, really good from Willick to sort of wrestle with with the centre back, and as soon as that ball drops loose, you just know that Wilson's picking it up, and as you say, rounds the defender, rounds the goalkeeper. Easy as you like, just a player playing with such supreme confidence. Never, it was never really in doubt. I think when that ball drops, you just felt, well, that's it. You know, Wilson, he's not going to miss in this form. And you mentioned there the fact that uh, one hit the bar twice. I don't think yeah. I've ever seen that yeah. before. It was definitely looping in as well after it hit the bar the first time. And there was also a moment Elliot Anderson gets introduced, and the ball is cut across the box, and Anderson's just gone for it. And he forces, I think it's a good block or a save. He comes close to scoring, but he kind of gets in the way. Of Wilson, but you know what? I love that from Elliot Anderson. He he knows Callum Wilson's on a on a hurry, but he's not having it. He wants his goal, and that's what you need because the Newcastle of old always had one man to rely on, and we always said under Steve Bruce, it's just like they don't know what to do with the ball. They don't want the ball. They're not confident enough. Here, you've got everybody willing to take a shot, willing to get in the box, and just showing confidence. And it's great to have Newcastle not relying on just one man, but everybody wants to get involved. I think Elliot Anderson's still seething from that comment Sean Longstaff left on his Instagram where he said him and Bear, Dan Byrne are the only Geordies that are allowed to score after that Nottingham Forest goal was ruled out speaking of Elliot Anderson by the way it feels like and look I'm not one to you know have a go at Eddie Howe but I just feel like that Forest game from Anderson really good cameo feels like we just haven't really seen him since is that is that a negative? I think in terms of his development Potentially, because I think the more first-team action he gets, the better. And I think it'll come to a head in the summer, maybe. Now, obviously, if they get European football, then he's going to get more opportunities. But mm. everyone's going to want to be playing you know, the, the games during the week, so maybe not. And I think it will. a decision will have to be made whether you send them out to a low-league Premier League club and get them some minutes under the belt or whether there's a high-flying championship side because I think he's at the age where he does need more first-team minutes. Now, of course training week in week out with these players and he is clearly liked he's clearly part of that first team training week in week out is a, a massive boost to him that will aid his development but nothing aids it like playing week in week out first team football the question is where where would you be playing him now could he have started in place of Anthony Gordon potentially that was one of the options we discussed but in reality if everyone's fit what do you do because Anthony Gordon is arguably ahead of him in, in the pecking order it's, St Maximum comes back is ahead of him where would you start and where would you play him because when everyone's on top form it's very hard to get him into that team I'm, I'm, I don't think I'd make the case to start him right now I'm not saying that he should have started over Gordon I think it was the right decision to, to start Gordon at wide I just think obviously he had so much 
had such a good game at Forest. Obviously, that Dislav goal, he was really, really um, positive on the ball. You know, he sort of felt like the moment, right, he's arrived now in the first team. And I just think giving him five, ten minutes at the end of the games ever since has just, as you say, been a little bit of a detriment to his to his um, development. development. And I just think, yeah, I'd just like to see a little bit more of him in the, in the last five games. But... What I am reassured about is that when you, you speak to people at the club and, and, and people go on record about what the plans are yeah. for those coming through, you look at Dan Ashworth's record, You, I, I feel assured that what is going to happen in the next few years, not just with Elliot Anderson, but with the likes of maybe Lewis Smiley and, and, and others, there is a proper plan there. There's mm. A, a pathway to the first team, but also B, that they will get eventually some good loan moves for the players. Now we know it hasn't worked out for QR up in up in Scotland, but I I think that's going to become a rarity starting this summer. I think the loan moves will start to pay off, and we will start to see more success like we saw Elliot Anderson at Bristol, like we saw with Sean Longstaff at Blackpool. We'll start to see players getting sent out playing first team football, and you know it'll be a benefit to them and, and the club. Yeah, I completely agree. You only have to look at what, you know, Dan Ashworth did at Brighton. So many players signing from abroad straight out on loan like they did with Grant Kowal and then within a season or two they're in the first team. I think I think they are in safe hands. Um and I think I agree with David's comment here in the comments that I'd like to see maybe a championship loan from next season if you can't if you can't get too many minutes. Starty fifty five says nice to see your faces instead of the ping pong bats. Good show, lads. Well, we listened. We had a few comments last week, so we thought, right, we'll take the the uh, the ping pong bats off, as you've described there, and you can see our lovely faces. It's nice. I don't think I've had this much attention. There's a lot of people wanting to see our faces. I thought we were hiding the the, the ugly mugs with the, the ping pong bats, but clearly not. Um, yeah, so let's see what happens with Elliot Anderson, because I think if, if he's not guaranteed it, it, more minutes at Newcastle, they're going to have to send them out. Otherwise, it'll be a massively missed opportunity. Um the second goal for Newcastle, Botman header off the Walcott um, and into the back of the net. Um, Bruno seemed to be celebrating, people pointing at each other, thinking it was him, it was him. You know, it didn't really matter. It was just really important that Newcastle, after having the Wilson one ruled out, went up and got the the, the, the second goal of the game. Yeah, big fan of two things from that goal. One, the, the utterly bizarre looks on people's faces when the stadium announcer announced Bruno's the scorer, even though Bruno's nowhere near it. And also Dan Byrne piling on Sven Botman to celebrate, literally pinning up the ground after what he thought was his first goal. Um, yeah, great to see. Obviously, Walcott didn't really know anything about it, but yeah, Newcastle certainly weren't complaining. The, the noise after that goal, but especially the leveller, was something special. I mean, we've seen brilliant atmospheres at St James's Park, but I tell you what, there was just... That was... Just unbelievable when that 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 equaliser went in, the noise just went up to something I don't think I've seen this season as a James Park, and we've seen a lot where um, if you're not a big fan of cheering and shouting, it, it's not the place for you to be. But I really thought there was something special about that moment after they got, they got the level. Out. Yeah, it was just so weird that the first half was so flat, and as you say, as soon as Newcastle, as soon as they got on top, I think even before they scored the first goal, you felt that rise that the crowd had finally sort of woken up and got behind them. Um, and again, sort of carried them through that second half. I mean, Southampton didn't have a, don't think they had a single shot on target in that second half. And that was because Newcastle just pinned them back. Their mentality, they collapsed. Even the, you know, Southampton boss Sellers said as much to us of after the game that they just sort of, 
you know, you can't go to St. James's Park and, and let them have that type of sort of atmosphere. Um, and yeah, they just need to make sure at Arsenal it's it's out there in the first half as well. Yeah, big, big game big coming game. up on Sunday. War flags have made the call for you guys to bring your scarves to St. James's Park and replicate the atmosphere that we saw in the last game at home last season. Um, let's talk about the midfield and obviously Sean Longstaff missing, but Eddie Howe's uh, said something quite positive about him. That's just bad bruising the hope and it's not broken. Arsenal might come too soon for him, but they're going to see. So that's positive because the way Eddie Howe's speaking, that Sean Longstaff's fit, he's starting. Mm. Now, the question is, did they miss him against Southampton? I know it's a totally different game to what it'll be against Arsenal, but did they miss him against Southampton? A little bit in the first half, I thought. I think... Um, Lavia, the youngster who's on known for Manchester City, had a had a, a good first half. Obviously, dispossessed. Is he unknown or is he? I think he's permanent. Oh, is he? Is, I thought he's unknown from City. Is he? And we'll, we'll double check uh, that. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure, sure he's permanent. But I thought you know, for all you've given the the James Ward uh, James Ward Prowse fan club a big uh, push over here the last couple of months, I think it was actually if they're going to be signing any midfielder from Southampton, I think it should be. Uh, oh yeah, no. So yeah, yeah, he is permanent. Uh, should be who? You were about to finish your point there. Uh, it should be Lavia, I think, over over Warprouse. Um I thought he was. I thought he was the best midfielder on the park in the first half. Maybe the missed long staff. You can't really, you know, say too much when they've went out and won three one. I think second half they had a much better grip on the game. Um, but yeah, maybe a little bit in the first half. And I think in a game like Arsenal, we'll miss him. Yeah, yeah they will do. Uh, fingers crossed, he's back. And now, I thought Bruno struggled against uh, Southampton. Same. I, I do think that. Injury, I know he says there's, there's, there's not too too much wrong with him, but I do think the is- issue with the ankle is starting to show a little bit more. He looked like he was limping late on in the game. And even that aside, I just didn't think it was his best game. But again, what was refreshing is that other players stepped up in the absence of a top-class performance from Bruno. Yeah, another good showing from Joel. And, uh, you know, we, we just say it every week. Um, Bruno, poor first half, couldn't dictate the game as he wanted to. As I said, you know, slow on the ball, lost it for the for the first goal. Um, that really annoyed me. That first goal, I thought it was a really poor goal to to uh, concede. I mean, he gets he gets title, doesn't he? On the halfway line, and he's complaining. He it's wanted like, a foul. It was a it, it was, was a perfect yeah. tackle from Lavia. Um, but even more than that, it was when the ball the go through. And what what frustrated me was that Botman started by going out to the player to his. Left, left, yeah, and then Cher moved in, but then Botman then moved away from the player on his left and went. And it was like, well, you've got to pick one or the other. You can't be caught in no man's land. And obviously, then Southampton punished Newcastle, but that did start from from Bruno unfortunately losing the ball and wanting free kick and started actually from a Newcastle throw where they should have probably went forward with it. But then it it summed Bruno's game. I think that sort of little snapshot of it, Newcastle caught on the hop for that goal completely at the back. Um, but look, he came out. He came out full time and said, "Look, I hold my hands up. It wasn't a, wasn't my best performance. Um, you know, which he does when he when he has a rare bad game. He holds his hands up, doesn't go missing. Um, and yeah, look, I'm I'm sure he'd be back to his best at Arsenal as he as he usually is. Yeah, in one way, I'm sure he doesn't want the season to end. But in another way, I, I wonder if he does, so he can get that operation that he's that's that that's been rumored, and he can get back to." been fully fit because a, a long season for him as well yeah. with the World Cup so yeah I, I imagine he's looking forward to a summer break yeah most certainly I mean the other big uh, injury news was that Jamal Lascelles is looking likely to miss the, the rest of the season which is a massive blow because you know when he's come on 
and he started what he started against Liverpool, started against City as well, didn't yeah. he? He's done absolutely nothing wrong. He can still do it at this level. He's obviously been a big influence in the dressing room on the bench. He's come on when needed as well for like Fabian Share, not put a foot wrong. It's a big blow that. I think the, the 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 more worrying thing for me is that you looked at that bench on Sunday, five fullbacks, not a single centre half. I think yes, obviously Dan Byrne can move back in to centre back, but that would you know, let's say Share gets injured, it means moving Botman to a you know the right side of the fence where he hasn't played. I just think it's an area where they may be looking a little bit light now that the cells is out. Uh, Bruno needs a break, and the summer maybe can't come quick enough for him. Says Lee uh, Graham says, "Can we start another preaching society of Wilson's first goal? Isaac assist, of course, but then Wilson looked as though he slipped and changed body direction to score. Yeah, by all means, we'll we'll create another appreciation society because We've got enough of them. because why not? Why not? Um, what I was going to say there about what it says. I mean, it kind of we we know that they're probably going to bring in a centre back. Yeah. Um, in the summer and the point you made there about the lack of real cover I guess on the bench is, is another reason to why they'll be in the market for one yeah absolutely I think I think as we said you know Byrne, Lascelles, Cher, Botman is the only their real four first team as I know that Dummett's obviously played then when they play, used to play a five but um, I just think as you say if anything is to happen to, between now and the end of the season with Fabian Cher which is not you know against the realms of possibility given that he Seems to take a whack on the head every week. Um, I just think they're maybe a little bit short of cover. I suppose as well, it's a big summer for, for Cal Watts, who's yeah. had a, a torrid time of it of, of late, but yeah. he's another one who's liked by Eddie Howe, by the staff. I think, obviously, the injuries have really impacted his development. He's had a, he was been on loan at Peterborough, hasn't he? But mm -hmm. um, it's not gone quite to plan. Only seven appearances this season, like we say, decimated by injury. But a, a, a big summer for him. He needs to get fit. Uh, you imagine he'll be in and around the first team squad and if Newcastle as we, we understand they are looking for that young centre back to offer cover then he has a real opportunity to maybe say we're there I can be that man yeah I spoke to him um, at the start of the season when he, he joined Peterborough and sort of asked him about what he how he found the summer he obviously went out to Austria with the team and the first team um, suffered a quite a bad knee injury when he was out there and sort of ruined his chances of staying at the club beyond the summer Peter obviously picked him up on loan, given that he'd, he played really, really well at Wigan in that division. He knows the division well. Um, so, yeah, Eddie Howe clearly likes him. Obviously, he was being used on that pre-season tour before he got injured. Very interested to see what they do with him this summer as to whether they keep him or whether they think, right, does he need another loan maybe at the Championship? Does he need to go out permanently? Um, but he's certainly a talented individual. If he can shake these little injuries, you know, he's, he's had two in the last two seasons that are quite bad. Um, but yeah hopefully it's a, it's a big big summer for him yeah, Trio says we have Byrne and Target so if Cher gets injured we have backup and there's other names as well I suppose in the under 21s you've got the likes of Alex Murphy who could step up as well so I'd, again it goes back to what we were saying earlier I think there was a pathway for these players if they perform well they know that there's a chance at Newcastle United which is uh, fantastic and Roger says we got Kraft back next season too, which is obviously going to be a plus. Nice to see him in the team photograph um, that came out afterwards. Now, let's just have a look at the league table because obviously the confidence is absolutely flying. There we have it. Newcastle third on 65 points. Just uh, 11 points off top. 
Still a chance? Yeah, title push. No, I, I <laughs> wouldn't have said so. Uh, my United fourth on 63 with a, a game in hand on Newcastle. Then down to fifth is Liverpool on 56. I played the same amount of games as Newcastle and Spurs um, on six with 34 games played and um, 54 points. Now, is it sewn up? Is it done and dusted? Yes, I'm going to say so. I know you're going to disagree, but and I know that Eddie Howe will really not like me for saying it, but I think I think it's done. You I think? just I just can't see the form they're in, them not picking up another another at least two wins from those. I think she Alan Shearer said seven points, he reckons. A lot of people are saying similar. My concern is is that Liverpool, even though they're conceding a lot of goals, I, I think they're gonna pretty much go the rest of the season unbeaten. Now there's no reason why Newcastle can't do that. But the, the Newcastle United fan of old in me, and John, John Gibson will slate me for this, because he told me on Thursday that I've got to get used to Newcastle doing what we expect Newcastle doing, that is just actually beat teams. But I look at Leeds, about a point Sam Allardyce, or maybe they have a point in Sam Allardyce while we've been in, in here, and look, he's, he's, you know, he's not a good manager in my opinion, but the look of Newcastle, he'll win his one and only game against Newcastle, and uh, you know, Stick it to the fans for the for the abuse he gets. Uh, Brighton, obviously the game in hand that Newcastle have got, they seem to have been picking things up. Arsenal still within, you know, a point of the title. I don't know. There's just something about me. It, 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 do you know what it is? The majority of me saying they've done it, but there's a little bit of me saying oh, I'm just very wary. No, this is the new Newcastle United. They're not going to let this slip. I think. The gaps too. I know it's nine points to Liverpool, but I just think I think it's done. I, don't, I hope this doesn't come back to bite us, but I, I think they're over the line. Still need eight points, says Ian. We need seventy-two points plus to confirm Champions League football, says Darren. Graham says, do we need to worry about Liverpool as they play twice before we play Arsenal? Ian says, Brighton the one to watch. Uh, Brighton, Brighton makes it a bit more complicated given the the amount of. Games in hand they've got, but even still, they need, you know, they need it to pretty much win every single one of those games. To kind of phrase six draws and we've done it, man. Fantastic. I don't know. I mean, I think the one to watch is is Liverpool. Mm. And let's just go off a little bit top here. Can we just talk about Jurgen Klopp and the way he behaved on that touchline? Absolute embarrassment. If disgrace. I'm, if I'm completely honest, right, and and this is straight out the the Donald Trump playbook here. If you just just gonna die. Sorry, sorry. But remember when Donald Trump was president and he would do something so outrageous so that people would stop talking about distraction. It was a distraction. And I think we've all seen it, Jurgen Klopp pulling his hamstring on the touchline. And I think everybody's been talking about, oh dear my god, did you see Klopp pulling his hamstring on the touchline? I think that is to distract from the fact that actually he had run up to the fourth official and celebrated in his face, and nobody's talked about that. Are you saying, are you saying he hasn't actually pulled his arm I after? think, look, I'm, look, I'm not... I'm I've not got to be honest, doctor, I mean, as I said last week, I pulled my hamstring playing football. That did not look like a fake hamstring. Point. Well, look, all I'm saying is, nobody's talked the about the, the absolute disgrace, and that is the celebration in front of the fourth official, who I, I don't know what he'd done to him during the game. When I actually watched it live, I thought he was running over to Ryan Mason, which I think would have been okay, but to do that in front of the fourth official... I thought it was I thought it was bad. It was crap. comments afterwards as well about yeah. him saying Paul Tini's got an issue with him. Yeah, it's w- just what, what what is he doing? We've seen it so many times this season, and you know what it is? I've really, for years, I've really loved Klopp, and and I've sort of tried to defend him to the hilt, but I just think now it's 
you know, when something happens too many times, you, you sort of can't defend it anymore. And I think that's what it's getting to a club now. I just think, I think he's just... I think they might throw the book at him. Yeah, I think they will after those post-match comments. I don't think... It sets a precedent if they don't. You, know, you can't talk about referees like that after a game, no way. And, because and actually, how on earth has he got the audacity to say that when Diego Jota... I was just about to say Kung that. Fu kicked somebody in the head, didn't get sent off, and then scored the winner. I mean, it just... Well, it goes back to Vars, and what are they watching? Yeah, I know. Absolute disgrace. Um, yeah, and I agree. I think it is probably a bit of a distraction tactic, but I just got riled up by it, I think. I'm, I'm happy Eddie Howe does not act like that on the touchline. Now, we know Jason Tindall can get in the, uh, the, the fourth official, and I think both of them got a telling off, actually, didn't they, on yeah, on did. Sunday? Um, because did someone go, I think someone went down, didn't they? And they weren't, they weren't happy. They wanted to get the... I think they were in attacking position, actually, and they had to kick the ball out, didn't they, for a head, head injury that really wasn't head injury. But on a whole, you know, they don't act like that, do they? And, and I'm, I'm happy they don't, because I don't want that to see that on the touchline. They do need, and I think they have been, a bit more... Uh, streetwise. Streetwise, yeah. Tyndall especially. Is, Tyndall is never out of it yeah. And look, we, we, we've we criticised managers for having to go at Newcastle this season, but Thomas Frank was maybe half right with his comments when he said Tyndall is a nuisance in the ear of the fourth official. Um, we saw that, I mean, Southampton, when they conceded their first goal on Sunday, it did this huddle outside the centre circle and Tyndall was going mad at that huddle saying that they were wasting time. But they have got more streetwise, the two of them, but I don't think you would ever hear Eddie Howe saying anything like that, like Jurgen Klopp did after the game, no way. And I wonder as well, because you know Eddie Howe never throws any of his individuals under the bus, but when Newcastle play badly, he's very honest about it, he's open about it. He doesn't try this distraction technique, and I wonder if that works better in some ways. And I, and I guess where Liverpool have been and where Liverpool have fallen to, maybe if Newcastle were in the same position, it would be different. You know, There's different ways of handling, I guess, the fall from grace in many it's ways. The pressure on Klopp, isn't it? Now? Yeah. They're, they're facing missing out in the Champions League for the first time in... God knows how many years, and I think maybe he's just starting to crack a little bit. Uh, Derek says, listen, if you look at the fixtures of the rest, we're sound, relaxed, Brighton yes. play all the top four, and Villa. I'm with Derek, it's, it's done. Uh, I know, I went, like I say, majority, it probably is done, but, <laughs> you know, come on. You're always expecting Newcastle just to mess it up somehow. The uh, Newcastle of old, I'm with Gibbo here, I'm, I'm team Gibbo, this is the new look unshakable Newcastle United we're talking about. I will be honest, I think Southampton probably was a turning point for me as a Newcastle United fan because I went into that thinking they should win, but this has got banana peel written all over it. Mm. 1-0 behind half-time. I'm still confident they were going to they were gonna turn it around. I think it probably, like I said, a turning point for me because they did come from behind, they won, and they did what they expected, what we expected them to do, and that was to beat the bottom side of in the Premier League. So maybe, maybe I am coming around to thinking this is this is the Newcastle of new and let's get used to it. You've been listening to Eddie Howe too much. Eddie Howe, we just can't get it out of him even though we try. We want him to say that it's done and he just won't and I think it's straight out of that. We've been talking about the Donald Trump play but you're straight out of the Eddie Howe play. I tell you what, if, response. if people have been playing weird bingo with this podcast and guarantee Donald Trump was not on the card, <laughs> I did not see that one coming. Um, to kind of phrase this, scratch that, I'll take five wins instead, yes, because we don't have um, six games left to play. So, um, But yeah, I guess that goes. We don't want the season to end, do we? Because it's it's so much fun. Uh, what else have we got in the comments? Darren Lee here saying, after seeing Madison's performance last night, makes you wonder if he's had his mind elsewhere now and will be leaving Leicester this summer, hoping he will be signing for ourselves. It's interesting because I saw a lot of comments actually saying, 
last night's performance wasn't great and is he any better than, than what Newcastle United have? I saw the exact same comments and I also saw those comments about Harvey Barnes as well, someone that you know we were banging the drum for on last week's pod. Um, funny, isn't it? How all of a sudden players can go from the number one target in the minds of fans to, oh, they're in a relegation battle? No, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that. I think you're know, still a top player in there. Yes, you know it's looking like he's all but confirmed that he's going to leave Leicester this summer. Um, after they denied him going last summer, but Spurs apparently the the number one choice. Yeah, a, a couple of whispers that he's that he's favouring a move to London. Um, I think you only have to take one look at Spurs this season, and I think you'd be you'd be steering well clear of that rubbish for a player. But does that London pull still exist? I don't know. Maybe it's still a couple more years till Newcastle are you know, firmly beating them teams. I'm, I'm not sure. Sure, the Champions League is the main pull, though, isn't it? Yeah, you, you would think so. And, and as I've said, you know, we're still you know, confident that Newcastle's still very, very keen on James Madison. And I think, you look at everything that's going on at this club, the direction they're going in, be very, very hard to turn down, I think. Harvey Barnes, I thought, did all right yesterday. I mean, it was a, a game of little quality, two yeah, teams scrappy, I couldn't defend and, and weren't really clinical but I think it goes it goes back to what you were saying there about it's funny isn't it you know he was first choice for, for the most and recently a lot of people have said oh well is he any better than what we've had but it goes back to what you were saying about last week let's not kind of forget what Newcastle need to do this summer yeah. and in January and then the summer after about improving the squad because as good as Jacob Murphy Miguel Almiron have been you know and others they're still going to have to go out and improve the squad and someone like Madison coming in will do that. And we've spoken about this before. The, the quality of teams that could go down this season, there's some real gems to pick up. And I don't think that just because a player's not necessarily playing bad in a, in a relegation-threatened team, I don't think fans should instantly be turned off the idea of, 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 of buying them. And Graham says he's read that Madison is set on London and Spurs, which he thinks is mad, but they'll pay more money. Now, is that something as well that we have to address this summer in terms of Newcastle's transfer aspirations, that they're not going to break the wage structure? You know, everyone's, the top earners are on a relatively same amount. We think probably around, what, 120,000, something like that a week. They're not going to go out and, and, and just break that this summer because of, financial fair play but also yeah. the unity within the dressing room etc etc what are we expecting in terms of, of 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 spend really both in terms of fee and wages so much you think i think i think newcastle have proven though that they can go out and get top class operators without actually breaking the wage structure they've shown that i think this season they probably pushed that a little bit further wouldn't be surprised if there was a big marquee name that maybe you know um takes over as the top earner at the club. I think we've, we've spoken about it a lot on this pod. Whenever Declan Rice gets brought up, we can't see them really going out and spending 100 million plus on one player, given the, the sort of revamp that they need. Um, but I think I think there's certainly money there to, you know, say to someone, we can offer you the chance to be the top earner if, the, if they're, you know, good enough. Does the fact that Eddie Howe has come out in recent weeks and said a lot of these players deserve to be here next season... Does that focus the mind of the transfer team at Newcastle and go, well, okay, well, look, Eddie likes this player, he's going to stop, which means the the priority maybe shifts or you're actually just focusing on one or two positions rather than six or seven? 
I think it's decreased the need for how many players they probably need to bring in. I think if you'd have said, let's rewind all the way back August before they'd been on this amazing run, I think you'd be looking at it and think, right, well, in two seasons' time, we want a top-class right midfielder, two new centre midfielders, another centre-back alongside Botman. Now, do you really need a, someone to come in and play share this season? No. Miggy and Murphy still battling for that right midfield spot. Yes, you need a, a central midfielder because John Joe Shelby's gone. I think you look at that team now compared with what we did last, you know, twelve months ago. It doesn't need near as much work as it probably did. Um, but that's not to say they shouldn't go out and spend because obviously to to stay in the top four, um, this team will need investment in it. Trio says this: you can't pay one player more than others, and the team is not on. If a player that is class comes in and our class players get about the same that's fine in my opinion that's, you know that goes and you've got to pay for quality haven't yeah. you but it's not maybe as black and white as that yeah I think this dressing room will know you hear players talking about it all the time the likes of Shelby and Hayden they know the club's going in one direction they will know that there's big earners coming down the line and I don't think that you look at the mentality of this group, I don't think that would put anyone's nose out of joint, would it? No, maybe not. And I guess it, it, it goes back to that call that Alan St. Maxim made all those seasons ago about let's show ambition. And with that comes the money you have to pay for, for top-class players. So it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, the financial fair play is interesting as well. And this week, reports that Newcastle are close or have agreed uh, a new shirt sponsor from the Middle East. Yeah, not, I don't think in the price range of the of the the top teams in terms no. of top teams I mean that in terms of the you know the, the money they're getting paid what's your understanding of that yeah so obviously the the talk came out this week about you know rumored 25 million pound deal um which would put Newcastle about 7th in terms of um the sponsorship deals for front shirt um what we understand at the chronicle is that there's there's multiple bidders vying for that nothing you know really cemented yet um and interesting that they're not going down the Saudi route and that it's going to be another Middle East um, company. One wonders whether it's maybe, you know, just protecting that sort of, you know, Saudi involvement that they've been sort of so hard to try and suppress lately with Stavely and Gadusi sort of, you know, fronting everything. Um, but certainly needed, I think, you know, as we said, yes, they're going to abide by FFP rules, but they need more revenue streams in and this is, you know, a very, very big one with a 25 million deal a year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who that is. Right, let's finish off then. I'll ask you about how big of a game Sunday is as well, yeah. but let's finish off with this because, as you guys will know, we won uh, the Best Sport Podcast of the Year 2023, the Publisher Podcast Awards. And Aaron's mom, big fan of the podcast is Aaron's mom, not just because our son is on it. She's baked us a cake. Yeah. And it looks absolutely delightful. Yeah, got a knock on the door last night with a, you know, me mum at the door with a surprise, and it was a, a well done lads cake which is made from scratch. So, do we know that'll what, get what kind of cake it I is? Don't Can actually I get into this because I'm really scared that I'm going to just go on lift that off. Look at that little nice little trophy, trophy on it as, as well. well. Oh, it's stuck. Is it? It's not edible, is it? I don't think so. Got a knife as well. Right? Let's have some guesses in the comments, right? Let's see what kind of cake do you think it actually is. Just go straight. Oh, I tell you what, that ice and smells unbelievable. It does smell good, doesn't it? Oh. She be a cake just a what hobby or? Yeah, she's a she's a very good mm -hmm. baker, I must admit. Lost a letter. It says, Well done, lads. Everything is black and white podcast. Love that. And it is. Oh, it's a lovely little Victoria sponge bit. 
Come on, get stuck in. Right. How big of a game is Arsenal on Sunday? Huge. Um, I think we'll see a, a repeat of what we saw against Man United and Tottenham. Big atmosphere. Um, and I think that they'll they'll do what they did at Arsenal last year and beat them comfortably. Aaron's mum. That's a lovely <laughs> bit of cake. Thank you very much. But yeah, it, it's going to be good, isn't it, um, Newcastle Arsenal, that they get to test themselves against the very best. That's going to be the important element because they've beaten Everton, beaten Southampton, they've beaten Spurs who were far from their best. Now, Arsenal, may, they're going to be affected by what's happening in the title race, but they're still a very good side. They'll be up for this because they know every game matters. That's, you know, The team spirit is still going to be there. So to pit yourself against the best is exactly what they have once. He's focused. And also, a win for Newcastle, you would think, pretty much secures top four football. Well, based on, as you say, what Liverpool do this week, they've got to play twice before Newcastle play. A win on Sunday could potentially get them over the line. You know, what more incentive do you need other than that? I'll <laughs> just keep talking while you do that rest of your cake. But yeah, huge game. Um, and look, they've got a fantastic record against the big teams this season. Um, I think it all sort of plays you know, for a really, really big game that we'll see Sunday. There we go. I mean, honestly, what a bit of cake. This icing, though, <laughs> very thick. I mean, the calories is, I mean, good job I'm not on a diet, but thank, thank you very much. Um, yeah, all remains to be done is to point you in the direction of a live event on May the 25th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Well, Norberto Solano will be joining us alongside Aaron. So I've got cake. That's very unprofessional. <laughs> alongside Aaron, Lee, Kieran Kelly, the Mirror, Simon Bird, and a new addition as well to the bill, BBC Radio Newcastle's Matthew Raysbeck, the voice of the North East, the voice of the Newcastle United uh, match days. So come along, secure your ticket, £5 a ticket, with a percentage um, of the tickets going to the Newcastle United fans. It would be great to see you. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast provider if you don't already. If you're watching YouTube, hit that subscribe button as well. Aaron looks like he's right. He took into a bit of cake. So while he does that, we'll sign off. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you very much for tuning in.